0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Earlier this year in May, I think it was, um, I went on a three or four day retreat with uh, five, four pastor friends of mine. So there's five pastors, and we've done it for a couple of years, and we usually spend just a few days uh, encouraging one another and praying for one another and hearing what's on our hearts um, and, uh, you know, share meals together for three or four days. It's really an encouraging time. Uh, there's one, we're all kind of in charge of one part of the retreat, right? Um, uh, part of my responsibilities is deciding where we're going to eat, um, that should not come as a surprise to any of you. Uh, Josh, what's up, bud? Good to see you, bro. Uh, part of, our, part of uh, our responsibilities is we have to figure out where we're going to eat. So I, I get to be in charge of that uh, or at least share in those responsibilities. Uh, there's usually a spiritual focus, and we all kind of contribute to that on how we're going to have conversations and uh, just encourage one another. There's one pastor. Uh, he's from the Monmouth area near Salem. Uh, His name's Matt Smucker, and he's in charge of our adventure activity for the retreat. I know that's a surprise to you because you would think, Daniel, why wouldn't you be in charge of the adventure (laughs) activity, Uh, outdoorsman that you are? Um, But no, I'm not in charge of it. Matt is. And so Matt usually comes up with something that none of us have done or, or maybe haven't done very much. In my case, I have never done any of the things Matt chooses to do. Uh, This May, we went exploring into a lava tube cave. Yeah, this is a real thing, apparently, that people just do. Uh, We were in the Deschutes National Forest near Bend. We are looking at the cave right now because it's underground. Yeah, so this is Boyd Cave near Bend. It's a well-preserved lava tube. It has these flow structures underneath the ground, that you can just walk around. And if you, uh, I'll show you a picture here in a moment. Uh, The cave is entered through this stairway uh, with a 10 foot diameter. So um, I wanna say when I look this up, they built those stairs like in the 60s Um, and they still work. Um, So you have these stairs and there's a, can you see on the top of it? Yeah, there's this tiny little railing around it. Just so you know, you're, if, you, if you're walking and you're not paying attention, you would fall into the cave. Uh, and so they have this really great stairway and you go down in. And uh, so we did, it's mostly walking. You can walk throughout it. And then the last uh, portion, about two thirds of the way down, is um, you, could, you can only access it for like 10 or 20 feet uh, on your hands and knees. I couldn't tell you what that was like because I didn't go that far. Um, this, is, this is the view. Once you come down the stairs, it's just, it's, isn't that beautiful? Um, and then you, you, you back away, and that's, that's the picture there. Um, I have some pictures of the other one. They didn't turn out, though, because um, it's just black. Um, we decided... That we and we took headgears right, uh, with head, uh, lamps on your head and then flashlights, and we had our phones, of course, and we decided it would be cool to, to see how long we could stay in complete darkness. So we walked around the corner, and, and you can't, you know, after you know, we turned off our flashlights, you couldn't see anything. We were around the corner from the entryway, and you couldn't see a thing. And so there's five of us. We all kind of found a spot to lean against or to sit on. And, and we, uh, we just kept on talking, but we tried to see how long we could go with no light. It was a good 20, 30 seconds. Of, um... No, I honestly think, I think we made it like 10 or 12 minutes. And then you just start getting this creepy feeling. You start seeing things when you know it's physically impossible right? Um, And you start feeling things, which is probable. There's something about being in the dark that only a little bit of light would have been so comforting in the midst of this much darkness. On the first Sunday in November, our church, along with thousands of other churches, recognized it as the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. So what does that mean? Maybe you're new to the faith, or maybe you've never heard of this term, persecuted church. Why would anyone name their church the persecuted church? Well, this is a group of believers worldwide that are being persecuted physically simply because they believe in Jesus, In fact, according to a 2019 review chaired by the Church of England, Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. So it's a day where we pray for and bring awareness to Christians who are persecuted for their faith. I want you to think about these numbers. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Not because they got sick, not because there was a tragedy, not because there wasn't clean water, not because, of any, not because they were uh, 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 just, just removed from their households, not because of any other reason, but they were killed because they believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Um we were at an event Friday night uh, supporting our friends Ravi, who spoke on uh, Persecuted Church Sunday two years ago, Ravi Kumar and his wife uh, Evie, and and they were talking about how one of the churches that they help support in tribal villages in India, they have a building, they're not allowed to raise their voice in their building, and they're not allowed to sing in their building. You say, what do they do for church? Well, they get there and a, a gentleman without sound speakers, without uh, any kind of way to project his voice, gets there and he, um, he tells them what song they're going to sing. And then they all mouth the words of the songs they're singing. Every day, 12 churches or buildings, Christian buildings are attacked. And then every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. It is most assuredly a dark world where light becomes very vital. So this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the book of John, who kind of talks about light. We're going to look at that for a few moments, and then we're going to set our hearts on a particular story in Nepal about what's happening there with Christians. So to begin with, we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world. We want to talk about the source of light. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your outlines, if you're following on the Bible app, you can follow along as well. Uh, The source of light, John chapter 8 and verse 12 says this. In fact, let's say this verse together. Let's read it together. Ready, begin. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light was an important symbol for the Jewish people. In fact, if you want to Google this later, it was an important symbol in the Feast of Tabernacles. During the feast, many emblems and ceremonies represented representing and remembering the pillar of fire that gave light to Israel during the Exodus. And you can read about that more in the book of Exodus. You can Google that later. But Jesus took this important symbol, and he's talking to Jewish people, and he simply applied it to his to himself, He's saying, remember when God provided the light for you, when you, were in, uh, when you were in the wilderness and you had no way to know which way you're going and God gave the pillar of fire and the pillar of fire represented the light. And whenever you would go and follow the light, you were following the very presence of God. Jesus says, I am this light. I am the light of the world. And so if you want to know what God is like, you look at the perfect representation of God who is Jesus Christ. So the source of light is this. Jesus is the light of the world and brings light to those who follow him. So if you think about it, if you could travel so quickly that you could always follow the sun, you would always be in the light, right? If a day came when the speed of airplanes equals the speed of the earth's motion, uh, a person could live so that he never loses sight of the light. And that is what Jesus is saying, that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Because Jesus is the light and he brings the light to those who follow him. Now, if you look at that verse again, Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 12, he's using familiar language to the Jewish people. He said, I am the light of the world. The phrase I am is familiar to Jewish audiences as a declaration whereby God calls his people to remember his nature and his character. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15 and you think about Abraham before he's Abraham, he's Abram, and God calls him, and he says, Abraham, pack your bags. We're going on a trip. And, and Abram says, where are we going? And he says, that's not for you to know. Not yet. He's like, yeah, but where do I put? What do I put in GPS so we know which way we're going? And he says, well, that's to be determined. He goes, yeah, yeah, I get it, but where are we going to end up? And God keeps it. no, you'll go to a land that I'm going to show you when you get there. During that conversation, Uh, God reminds Abram who he is, and he says this, I know you have a lot of worries. I know you have a lot of fears. I know you have a lot of anxiety about this road trip, about what I'm asking you to do. I know it's very difficult for you to follow me right now, but God says this, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. He uses those words to call to remembrance. Hey, remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you. Moses. Man, the story of Moses is awesome. Maybe one year we'll go through just the story of Moses, but Moses is great. Uh, Moses hears from God, and, um, and this is he's having a conversation with God, and at one point, Moses says, yeah, yeah, I get all this. Um, who should I tell them is telling me to tell them all these things? Like, who do I say is speaking to me? If you remember the words, Uh, God says to him, I am that I am. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth myself. In other words, when you see this in scripture, particularly when Jesus is saying it, or when it's coming from the voice of God, it is a call to remembrance to say, this is who I am, this is what I am about. I am. Like before the foundations of the world, I am. In the beginning, I am. Jesus is and was The light, And so he's declaring that he's the path. He's the source of discernment. And what's more, Jesus has declared the exclusivity of the light. He says, I am the light. It would have been troubling, perhaps, if he said, I am a light. It would have gave a lot of room for interpretation. It would have gave us a lot of room to say, well, if he's a light, that's great and all, but there must be other sources of light. But Jesus was very declarative in his statement. He said, I am the light. So the source of light is Jesus. He's the light of the world and brings light to those who follow him. We're going to look at the force of light. In other words, how strong is this light? What is this light capable of doing? We're going to go to John chapter 1 for this. John chapter 1. We're going to read these three verses. These are powerful verses. Let's read these together together as well. John chapter 1, we're going to read these first three verses together. Ready, begin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. If you're not careful, this can sound like Dr. Seuss, right? It can sound a little confusing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It sounds like a mathematical equation. Uh, what he's saying is, is a very complicated theological uh, truth, but he's talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. So, in the beginning was the Word. This word in the Greek is this word logos. It, um, we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but it's, it's the source of everything. And it says, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. So in verse 1, all we know is that there was the Word. He was with God, but He also was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All of a sudden, there's an attribu- uh, uh, He's attributing who the Word was. If you go back in Genesis chapter 1, um, it's so beautiful when it's talking about creation. At one point when they decide to, when God decides to create something, uh, he would use the first person plural. In other words, he'll say, let us make man in our image. Well, who's there in the beginning? God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 is telling us Jesus was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's this beautiful recognition that Jesus was there at the beginning. And what John is kind of telling them is when the beginning began, Jesus was already there. The idea is that Jesus existed before creation or even time. So that word logos, the idea of logos has deep rich roots both in Jewish and Greek thinking. So for Jewish uh, for Jewish communities, rabbis would often refer to God as the Word of God. For example, in uh, in the Old Testament, they would refer to God uh, they would refer to God as the Word of God. So there's a verse in Exodus 19 and verse 17. And in Jewish scriptures, they would change it to read this way: Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet the Word of God. So, in the mind of the ancient Jews, the phrase "The Word of God" could be used to refer to God himself. Now, when you think about Greek philosophers, they saw logos as the power that put sense into the world, making the world orderly instead of chaotic. The logos was the power that set the world in perfect. Order. It was the ultimate reason that controlled all things. So, in one verse, in one passage, I should say, John is addressing both Jewish thinkers and Greek thinkers. He's saying, For centuries, you've been talking about, thinking about, writing about the Word of God. For the Jewish people, that went all the way back to the days of Moses. For the Greek thinkers, they were thinking about all the ways, uh, all the ways that, uh, all the way from when creation was first founded, they thought of this idea, this concept of logos. And what John is doing in these first few verses when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he's saying, Let me introduce you to the person you've been speaking about. John met both Jews and Greeks where they were at and explained Jesus in terms they already understood. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. It says, This, in him, Jesus, was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So think about it. What is the force of this light? What is, what is this light capable of doing? Well, the force of this light of Christ transforms our spiritual identity. We're going to look at these verses and, and kind of unpack what, what is being said the force of this light of Christ transforms our spiritual identity. So verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Let's identify who the speaker is talking about. Who's uh, John talking about in verse 9? He's talking about Jesus Christ. The true light, Jesus Christ, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, uh, that phrase there represents Christmas, right? That represents the moment where the incarnation of God happened to Jesus Christ, came uh, to be born of a virgin. We'll celebrate that uh, here in a few weeks. Some of you already, but here in a few weeks um, where, where Jesus became a man. So he was in the world, that's Christmas, and the world was made through him. That's Genesis 1. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Saying, what is that? Well, that's, that's, that's the days leading up to Easter. You see how much is packed in these verses? You were talking about the Jewish people and their refusal to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. Their refusal to do so. That's, that's what John is referring to. His own people did not receive him. And then verse 12 But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You say, what's the force of this light? How strong is this light? Well, what it does is this, it transforms our spiritual identity. This idea of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ is as simple as just receiving what he's promised us. It's like an empty cup. If you take an empty cup and you, and you put it under a stream of water, the cup simply receives what is already being poured out, and that's what our faith is. The scripture says, to those who received him, they're born of God, but not of human effort or achievement. In fact, we should probably just rest here a little while not of human achievement, not of our own effort. My favorite, one of my favorite verses in Titus says this, it's not works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. In other words, there's nothing you could do to be good enough. There's nothing you could do to be strong enough physically. There's nothing you could do to be financially well off enough. There's nothing you could do uh, in terms of your own morality to be good enough to earn Jesus's love which frankly drives us nuts. Because if I could told you there was, there, was, there was a figure in your bank account that would earn the love of Jesus, it would simplify a whole lot, wouldn't it? If I could tell you there was an amount that you could bench press that if you did would earn the love of Jesus, that would be an easy goal to go after if I told you that there was some kind of metric where you would uh, take a dab of your blood and send it off and you would come back and it would say, okay, here is your makeup. You just need to increase these points of your life and then all of a sudden you have earned the love of God. It would be far simpler for us. But for us to understand that Jesus, the standard for Jesus' perfection is is a holiness that we could never attain This is the force of light. It takes us who are unworthy, are unable to attain that on our own and allows us to become children of God. What does it do specifically? I just want to mention two things that scripture tells us about in terms of spiritual identity. First of all, we are no longer children of darkness. The force of this life transforms our spiritual identity. First of all, it means we are no longer children of darkness. Of darkness, First Thessalonians says it this way, For you are all children of the what? The light and of the day. We do not belong to darkness and night. We don't belong there. Why? Because we've been transformed. Our spiritual identity has been transformed. We do not belong to the darkness and the night. Uh, not only are we children, of, uh, we are no longer children of darkness, we are transformed as new creations in Christ. Second Corinthians says it this way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. First Peter, but you are not like that for you are a chosen generation. You are royal priests, holy nation, God's very own possession. I got a hard time understanding and embracing that verse. I got a hard time understanding that God will look at me and my life and say, you are a priest. In fact, you are a royal priest. I doff you a royal priest. You are a holy nation. I have a hard time understanding with my sin and my brokenness and my imperfections and my uh, resume and the life that I have lived and the sin that I've committed and the brokenness that I share that God would identify me this way. That's the point. That is the very point of the force of this life. It is so powerful that it transforms our spiritual identity, even when we don't feel it, by the way. Even when we don't feel it. So the source of the light is Jesus. The force of this life is it is able to transform our spiritual identity. What is the course of this life? Where is it going? What's the path? Ephesians chapter 5 says it this way. At one time you were darkness, but now, everyone say now. now. Okay, now everyone say now. Now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. Like if, if the language of the Bible wasn't hard to embrace as it is, it feels like just, just like when we're trying to get an understanding scripture throws another metaphor for us to just ponder and to think about right so we're talking about light and darkness and all the ways that light is awesome and we're talking about that moment i spent 10 minutes in a cave and how dark it was and a little flicker of light might have given us hope and then and then and then and then scripture tells us yeah you're no longer you're no longer children of darkness walk as children of light children of light You see, followers of Christ were first called Christians in Antioch. Remember, we looked at that last year. It is thought to have been a derisive term. It was not a compliment. uh, They were making fun of the Christians. It was a form of identifying them, but also putting them down. In fact, it's probably more literally translated, not Christians necessarily, but little Christ's. Oh, isn't that cute? Y'all being little Christ's. You're being just like Jesus, aren't you? You're trying to love just like him. You're trying to live your life just like him. Little Christs. It was a derisive term. Ephesians 5 reminds us man, we get to walk as little lights or little Christs, little children of light. Um, On Tuesday for our trunk or treat, can we just, like, dressing up's kind of weird, right? Like, for these things? I think it's kind of weird. Um, I think it's, a, it, it's, um, it's fun. It can be fun. Uh, it can be a little creepy, too. A uh, little scary, perhaps. Um, I always ask Darren every year on this night, please don't assign me one game. I just want to welcome people, right? I kind of want to be out in front. Um, and I don't want a bowl of candy right next to me. That wouldn't be good for anyone. Um, so... <laughs> I just get to watch. I get to do a lot of people watching. And I get to watch our kids. When I say our kids, I mean, you know, first Christian kids that, that, that know this place and know this sanctuary and they walk in and it's not a sanctuary anymore. It's not a church, you know, it's all just done up as a carnival and all of this stuff. Um, Darren's kids were here. Darren's on vacation, by the way, and he came to church anyway. Um, always puts pressure on me when I'm on vacation. And I didn't tell him I was going to tell her this story, so... Here you go, Darren. Um, Darren was dressed up as a scarecrow, right? Uh, Which is like top three costumes you've ever had, Darren, probably, because some of the other ones were not as. Anyway, I digress. Um, Scarecrow, he's walking around, and he's doing his thing. And Darren's so great on these events. He really is. Um, And he would go around. And every once in a while, he wasn't doing it all the time. You saw him in the video. He's just walking around, being himself. But every once in a while, he would, he, would, he would pretend to scare someone like that, right? Because he's a scarecrow, right? And, and he would walk, and then uh, there, we had a couple of babies uh, here, and he'd, he'd just kind of do like this number and pretend. And there was one time, because I was in the outside, and he was walking in, and he did that, and you know who was behind him? Was Theron. And so I wish I had this recorded man. Darren goes around, and he's just, hey, how's it going? and Theron's right behind him and Theron goes (laughs) he's just emulating what his father is doing and honestly I just get emotional whenever I see things like that but um, he was just trying to be just like his dad he's just trying to be a little Darren right that's probably a really high compliment depending on the day of the week if you call Theron a little Darren I think what what, what Paul is saying in Ephesians is, you get, to, you get to walk as children of the light. In other words, you get to emulate the light of Jesus. You get to do exactly what Jesus did. He has empowered you. He has gifted you. You have the Holy Spirit like him. So if Jesus went like this, guess what you get to do? You get to go like this. If Jesus loved people, you know what that means you get to do? You get to love people. If Jesus met people where they were and loved them instead of judged them, guess what you get to do? You get to meet people where they are and you get to love them. If Jesus was sacrificial with his time with people, you know what you get to do? You get to be sacrificial with your time. If Jesus prayed to the Father, intercessory prayers on behalf of other people who perhaps didn't have a relationship or the words to pray on their own, you know what that means? You get to do, you get to have intercessory prayer on the behalf of people who might not have a relationship or the words to pray. If Jesus was willing to give his life so that others would come to know him, guess what that means? We get to do, we get to be little Christ and we get to give our life for the cause of making sure that there's light in the world. And here's the thing. If we're not the light, then where does the light come from? You see, the course of light is this. The path of biblical disciples is to walk in Christ's light and bear witness to the light of life found only in Christ Jesus. We're to walk in the light, and then we're to bear witness or tell others about the light. That is, our, that is our life's mission. From the moment you came to an understanding that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your call in life is now to walk in that light and to tell other people where that light can be found. Philippians says it this way, do all things without grumbling, without grumbling, or disputing. Boy, some of you, that's your, that needs to be your life verse this week, by the way. Can I get an amen? amen? Verse 14, just do all things without grumbling or complaining, disputing. Verse 15, why? Why is it so important for Christians to do things without grumbling or disputing? So you could be blameless and innocent. Um, children of God, there's that metaphor again, Without blemish, where? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, the characteristics displayed in the lives of followers is to be blameless, to be innocent like children, because we're walking in this crooked, immoral world where our lives begin to shine as lights in the world. Persecuted church around the world is, is hard for us to understand in Roseburg, Oregon. It just is, and I'm not sad about that. It just takes more work for us. It takes a, a greater degree of awareness for us to understand what darkness might look like around the world. People who study worldwide missions believe there's 500 million people globally that are trapped in the spiritual darkness of Buddhism. They're not simply following an alternative spiritual light that may result in salvation. They are following a darkness that leads to a Christless eternity. More than 385 million of those Buddhists live in areas considered unreached, which for our purposes means where there's less than 2% of the population is considered Christian. There's 18 million people following uh, the darkness of Buddhism, live in areas on the mission frontier with no followers of Jesus Christ and where no missionaries currently are. We're going to talk about the country of Nepal this morning for just a couple of moments. In places like Nepal, men and women, boys and girls have little to no opportunity to live in the light of Christ. So Buddhism is some 2,500 years old, and the teachings have become more prominent globally in the last 50 years, and it can be perceived as a peaceful religion. But as we'll see in a moment, that can't be further from the case. It is a spiritually dark way of living. Buddhism openly reveals itself as the blackest darkness as Buddhists work to appease spirits whom they know to be evil. They perpetrate the persecution of Christians in their communities, We're gonna be introduced to a young man named Sejun who lived in Nepal, and this is his story.
1: I never chose to become a Buddhist monk. My parents chose it for me. They send me far away to a monastery, Lama and my father left me there. For the next nine years, I was trained to be a monk. Eight hours a day, seven days a week. All I did was memorize and recite. Memorize and recite. Of the Buddhist text spoke of peace and tranquility, but my teachers lived something very different. I was 13 when I finally ran away from the monastery. said I had shamed the family because I didn't finish my training. He enrolled me in first grade. He would begin my education all over again. Okay, so today we have a new student joining us. So everyone say hello to Sejun. One of my teachers talked to me with respect, showed me a kindness I never experienced in monastery. You can read this for me. Uh, the first John. Okay, great. God showed how much He loved us by sending His He's one, one, the end, one, only. What is this, huh? You're not supposed to read these types of books in the house! Seju, where are you going? I don't know. I can go home. family and David and his wife have given me a place to stay I'm reading more from the book David gave me I have read about the light it is
0: the light I want Sejun's mother risked social ostracization and more likely physical abuse uh, and persecution from her family by attending Sejun's baptism, which was done publicly. Evidently, however, the transformation she had seen in Sejun's life was enough for her to inquire about Jesus. We we hear these kinds of stories and and, and see it depicted um, the last um, scenes that you saw um, from the Voice of the Martyrs video where uh, the worship services and and Sejun now those are actual videos of Sejun. They used actors in the earlier portions and during the portions of some of the other videos. But that's that's really Sejun. There really is this family in Nepal being persecuted for their faith. And at at first, if we're not careful, we can We can approach uh, this emphasis on praying for the persecuted church in such a way where we feel sorry for them. We feel sorry for them and the... Uh, hardness that they have to live through, the political chaos that they have to live through, the, the persecution that they have to risk. We feel sorry for a family that can't attend a baptism without threat of physical abuse. We can feel sorry for, uh, for, for those who, who are risked physical abuse just for owning a copy of the Scripture. We can feel sorry for them. And I, and I want to caution you against feeling sorry for them and instead ask the question, What can I do for my faith so my faith lives and walks that way? What can we do in our own life where where our faith breathes and is strong like Sejun's faith? What prevents us from having a faith like theirs? If you've ever been surrounded in darkness, you know it doesn't take a whole lot of light. It just doesn't. So we spent like 10 or 11 minutes in darkness. While we were having those conversations, at one point we said, okay, let's see how long we can go in the darkness and the silence. We did not make it very far that time. Matt, prepared as he is for our adventure activity, brought with him a, uh, a lighter. And when we decided to end it, Uh, we did so with him lighting a flame against the backdrop of the darkness of that cave. There's my when we finally lit a light. Scripture tells us this, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies remember as if you were there. Remember as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. There in your outline, there's some next steps, and I put down three next steps for you this week. This is how you take Sunday morning's message and you put work boots on and you actually do the work of the faith. There's a couple of different things that we have going on collectively at a ch- as a church that I think that would be a great place for us to start in our next steps in remembering those around the world Number one, get involved with Operation Christmas Child next week um, or this week by buying the recommended supplies if you can't stay next Sunday. Uh, Next Sunday right after church, we'll go downstairs, we'll have a quick lunch, and then together as a church family, we'll put together boxes from supplies that have been collected all year. Many of these uh, boxes will go to countries where it is difficult for them to publicly display their faith. You say, how do these boxes make a difference? Well, We've shown the videos. What ends up happening is that with every one of these boxes we pack, you are giving them a gospel presentation. Every time a child receives one of these boxes, they get a presentation of what the gospel is and who Jesus is. It's a beautiful way to help your children kind of understand uh, where our faith can have an impact worldwide. And so I would say get involved next week. There's, uh, there's things that we need to purchase uh, in terms of uh, supplies. Uh, and then show up next week to the party. Uh, another way that you can get involved, another way you can have next steps towards impacting those around the world is gives towards our missionaries that are reaching those in spiritual darkness. Right now we have about 30 to 35 families in our church that commit to give Above and Beyond, regular giving for missions. And these families give a variety of different ways. Some of them give once a year or quarterly, depending on how their income is received in their family. Some give monthly or weekly or every other week with their paychecks. But they give throughout the year and coupled with the amount that our church gives and these 35 families raise. Last year, we raised over $60,000 for our missionary programs. In a few months, Uh, we're going to have our one great month for mission where you get that emphasis highlighted again. But this is a tangible way that you can help those who are reaching people in very spiritually dark places. Let me give you a couple more. Uh, In your bulletins this morning, you received uh, this, uh, this pamphlet called, I Commit to Pray. And the way this works, pull that out, would you? The way that works is this. There is, uh, right in the middle, this little column here is a bookmark that you can uh, cut on the perforated edges. And that can just be placed uh, somewhere where you'll see it often. Um, maybe I would, I would maybe take this down to Staples later day and blow it up and just put it on your fridge, right? So you can see it often. Uh, tape it to your remote control. Uh, duct tape it to your smartphone, whatever you got to do. Um, Or you can just put it in a book. I think that's what it's meant for. Um, You can pray that they would know God's presence, that we're praying for them to experience God's comfort, see God open doors to evangelism, they could boldly share their gospel, they would be mature in their faith, be granted wisdom in covert ministry work, remain joyful forgive and love their persecutors be rooted in god's word if you go to that website i commit to pray.com they'll give you other ways and other information and then i would encourage every family to take this card fill it out and receive the monthly information from voice of the martyrs you'll hear stories around the world of what it's looked like for um for people around the world who are in spiritually dark places and then use the prayer guide um, there's a variety of different ways that you can use this. This is, uh, this is an amazing resource, but it'll, it'll highlight different countries. Uh, for instance, Nigeria. I just opened it up. And it's designated a hostile nation. It'll give you an overview of that nation. It'll tell you who is the persecutor. In this case, it's the Boko Haram Islamic terrorist uh, extremist group and militants working together to attack Christians through northern Nigeria. It'll tell you what it means to follow Christ in Nigeria. It says this, "...nearly all Christians in northeastern Nigeria have lost family members or friends because they are Christian. Entire congregations have been displaced and many pastors have been forced to leave the region." Being active in church looks much different than it did at the beginning of the 21st century, and it goes on to give you helpful ways for you to understand what's happening. In this area, when we think about the persecuted church worldwide, knowledge is very powerful for us to understand and to identify with them. And so I hope you take this idea of Jesus being the light, and we are to be the light, but also to be praying for those that are in very spiritually dark places. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.